The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome back to the Parking the Bus podcast flagship show here on the PTB Media Network. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and this is finally, after a long wait, I know it's been a long time, this show has been quiet for a couple of, uh, probably about six or seven weeks now, but uh, it is finally that time, so I'm, this is going to be a very low-key celebration, but this is Episode 100 of the Park in the Bus podcast. I'm just going to do a little. There you go. <laughs> uh, it is Miller time, my friends. Yes, when I when I do Park in the Bus, it is Miller time. When I do Mr. Benfica, it is time for a Sagres, which is a Portuguese beer. But this is Park in the Bus, and it is Miller time. 100 episodes. This is the 100th of the Park in the Bus podcast, that is. I have tried other projects, as you know, throughout the t- the history of this, this feed. But of the ones that I have named Parking the Bus, this is number 100. And I didn't think, honestly, that I was going to get here. As you know, those of you that have followed the network long enough knows there's been a lot of stopping and starting in the history of this program. But um, I'm here again, going to keep it going. The last several weeks I have been dug in deep into Mr. Benfica because it was the it was the climax of the season. What can I say? It was a push to the end, and uh, Benfica hit a slump at the worst possible time in early April and found themselves knocked out of Champions League and found themselves dropping six points in the span of 10 days and all of a sudden had a close race to the end, but... That race ended this past Saturday with a 3-0 win at home over Santa Clara. Benfica crowned champions of the Portuguese League for the 38th time. And I celebrated most of the night Saturday all the way through into Sunday. And then Sunday I watched the Liga MX uh, Clausura final, the second leg. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But that is where I've been. That's kind of what's been going on. I just want to give you guys an update on what's coming your way on this podcast in the very near future as I continue to look for kind of an organic sort of synergy and an organic sort of uh, format and just uh, just trying to really build this into a network. I know with without putting out any content for well over a month, kind of hard to do that. And some of you have asked me, uh, what's happened with um, Birth of a Soccer Nation? That'll be back soon. I will. I am going to continue that. I recorded a number of episodes in advance, and I put those out, put it out as a feeler a little bit. I do plan. I have every intention of continuing that project, and uh, it'll be back soon. Um, those episodes, I'll be honest, didn't do as well as I had hoped, but. And on the single feed, I had created a separate feed just for the Park in the Bus, po- uh, sorry, just for the Birth of a Soccer Nation podcast, and that's not getting any traction. So I have to rethink how I'm going to do it, but 
one way or another, I, I will be continuing that project as well as some others that I had thought up. Um, the month of June is going to be a little, I say it's going to be a little quiet here, but it probably won't be. Um, the format of going down the MLS weekend results in long form that I'd been doing, I'm going to put that aside for a little while. Uh, the MLS is going into sort of the doldrums here. And with so many cup finals and so many international, uh, big internationals coming up, I'm going to be focusing on that in the month of June as well as trying to get ahead of, of schedule and trying to get programs recorded for the month of July because in the month of July I will be traveling. I'll be shooting footage and uh, working on some videos for the, the PTB Media Network's YouTube page. I'm going to be doing... Uh, very similar to last year, I called it a stadium tour. This year, I'm not really call, I'm not calling it that, but I am hitting the road, going to several matches, collecting some footage. I'm going to make some some uh, videos and put it up on the on the YouTube channel to try to get that going. I'm also going to try to get written content going as well, but it, one day at a time, one step at a time. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep working at this. This is this is something I'm committed to, and I I have given a thought of just. Just dropping this this side of the project and focusing on Mr. Benfica, but that's not what I want to do. That's not where my heart's at. I do very much want to build something here, and I'm gonna also take some time here this summer to to read and do some research and look into ways to get some more engagement, maybe get myself more visible, and uh, try to get more of a community feel here in uh, this PTB Nation, as I like to call it, but. Right now, you know, it's 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 uh it's going into a very busy time. So here's what's on tap for the next thirty days or so, okay? Uh before I hit the road and I start traveling in July, like I said, I'm gonna be at four matches in the space of nine days in July. So I'll be trying to capture some footage there. Uh we do have coverage coming of the first and foremost, the UEFA Europa League. That final, as I'm recording this on Tuesday, May the 30th, that final is tomorrow. Roma taking on Sevilla. And my plan is to record shortly after the conclusion of the match and do a post-game show type of thing. Um, I did this in the past two seasons, I think I've done this. Uh, where I've covered the Europa League final. Obviously, the Europa Conference League final is another game I'm very, very interested in. Fiorentina taking on West Ham. That's I'll be covering that as well. Um, the UEFA Women's Champions League final is... is uh, Sorry about that. ESPN alert. I really don't like ESPN. I don't know if that got picked up by the microphone, but uh, my iPad just, just uh, alerted me of something I could care less about. Um, just because I downloaded ESPN. Plus, that's what happens every like 10 minutes now. But anyhow, um, I was saying that we have the UEFA Women's Champions League coming up, the final between Wolfsburg and Barcelona. I'll be covering that as well. Um, the UEFA Champions League final, Manchester City taking on uh, Inter. I'll talk about that as well. And the CONCACAF Champions League final also starts tomorrow night. The first leg is tomorrow night as uh, LAFC travel to Mexico to take on Leon. So you can look for that later this week as well. I'll be putting some stuff out. That's played over two legs, so there's two review shows there. Coming soon, the UEFA and CONCACAF Nations League Final Fours are coming up. And then there is, in July, like I said, after I travel, there is the League's Cup 
and the Gold Cup. The Gold Cup actually happening while I travel. This is a crazy calendar we keep here in North America where I'll be going to MLS matches while the Gold Cup is going on simultaneously. Don't know how that's going to work yet in a content uh, sense. I don't know how that's going to look here on the network and on the podcast feed, but um, one day at a time. I'll take it one day at a time. But the the League's Cup is a little bit after that. The League's Cup uh, starts actually the week that I get back from my from my trip. So I do look to do some. I don't, I'm not going to say daily coverage. That's a huge commitment, but. Um, you know, a couple times a week coverage in the League's Cup. The first edition of this official League's Cup in its proper format, you know, as a proper uh, official tournament. So I will be watching that closely. Also, the Women's World Cup is at the end of July. I am psyched. I can't wait. Um, I know I wanted to cover the Women's Euro in depth last year, and I couldn't make it happen. Things happened beyond my control. Fingers are crossed. These matches are going to be played over the in the middle of the night over in New Zealand and in Australia, and I think I can throw them up on my screen while I'm working during the day, and I can uh, and I can cover cover the tournament as in depth as as I possibly can, um, given you know all the commitments I have going on, and given my regular work schedule, which is not so conducive sometimes to regular podcasting. So. That's kind of where we're at right now. Um, we've, we're going to have a Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana review show soon because i got to catch you up. We're four match days into the group stage, so I really got to do a quick show. to. It won't be quick, but uh, to catch you up on those two competitions. And uh, the Brazilian and Argentine leagues are in full force, and there are some narratives already being d- developed and some good stories. So um, I, I'm going to continue to watch those leagues like I have. And we'll get back to the MLS stuff at some point. We'll get back to the format of covering the MLS matches from, uh, you know, weekend to weekend. Um, MLS also playing some some midweek matches now. Like this week is another midweek MLS week, if I'm not mistaken. And... Um, also, I want to cover the media side of this sport, which is something I've really taken a, a liking to and something that uh, no one else is really to only very few other other podcasts are talking about. So I'm trying to seize that opportunity. So I'm sure I'll get back into Apple TV Plus again very soon and talking about the pros and the cons. And and I hear you guys. I hear you guys via some of the other some of the other uh, platforms. But um the MLS fan base is, is not going easy to this to this pay this pay service to this content that's behind a paywall. Um, I personally love the product of MLS season pass. I feel like this was one of the happiest uh, investments I've made in terms of football viewing. Okay, maybe it's just because I'm enjoying the league more than I ever have because I'm not restricted to watching my local team, which is the team I don't really care too much to watch, even though. I admit, and and I'm going to have a video coming out soon, actually, because I took a trip down to Gillette Stadium maybe a month ago. Um, I caught an early season uh, an early season showdown between New England Revolution and FC Cincinnati, and um, I'm actually putting the footage together right now to make a YouTube video to post on the YouTube channel. Once that's up, there will be links in the show notes. I will tweet it out, and I will put it on the Instagram and all that. And by the way, follow me on Twitter so you can stay up to date with all this content. I am the Mr. at Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Follow the network also on Twitter at PTV underscore media. 
That's PTV is in parking the bus underscore media. All right, Instagram and Twitter for for that handle. Uh, give it a follow and uh, tell your friends about this. All right, so I'm gonna start covering this game from from a hopefully more regular uh, from a more regular standpoint. First thing I want to talk about now in this episode 100 that I'm psyched to uh, have for you here. I want to talk about the what to me is the biggest news stateside of uh, football. Okay, in terms of content and in terms of media, again, is the creation of CBS's Golasso Network. This uh, debuted Tuesday, April the 11th. So we're going on almost two months of the Golasso Network. And I have to say, this is my background television most days now. Uh, morning footy is something I catch when I'm working most days. Box to Box is another great show. I'll, ta- I'll talk to, uh, about those in just a minute. But what Golasso Network is, if you haven't heard about it yet, this is completely free to you. This is not behind a paywall. You don't need to subscribe to Paramount Plus to see it. It is available on Paramount Plus if you already subscribe it's also available on the cbs sports app okay if you don't subscribe to paramount plus and it's also available for free on pluto tv if you don't know what pluto tv is it is a fantastic platform of free television and it is a just a library of viacom uh properties so you have a channel um that shows 24 hours of family ties you have a channel that shows 24 hours of Amazing Race, of Survivor, of The Challenge, of, of everything under the Viacom window, basically. I'm uh, sorry, Umbrella, the Viacom Umbrella. You have Big Brother. You have sports channels, like I said, including the Golasso Network. But you also have, if I'm not mistaken, you have Impact Wrestling in there. You have uh, you have a Laverne and Shirley channel. You have a Johnny Carson channel, which I've I've actually dove into that rabbit hole and watched hours and hours of old Johnny Carson episodes. You have hours and hours of old Price is Right episodes as well. The Bob Barker years. You can go back and watch the Price is Right from like the early 1980s and get a kick out of out of the prices of things back then. It's pretty amazing. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. If you don't have the app on your smart device, either on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your smart TV, just go into your app store, app store completely free. Put in Pluto TV, bring it up. It's completely free. There's hundreds of channels. There's movie channels there. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Like I said, there there's great shows like Family Ties and... Uh, Happy Days has a channel as well. Anything that that right now uh, uh, Viacom owns, they have a channel pretty much, pretty much. Okay, anything they haven't sublicensed out, and uh, it's twenty. They're twenty four hour free TV, and you can watch great content for nothing. Okay, nothing. You don't have to sign up for anything. All you got to do is download the app, put in an email to create an account. You don't have to get an Apple account. You don't have to get a cable subscription. None of that. No sling and none of that. And you can just watch all kinds of free content. I recommend it to everyone, especially because on there is the Golasso Network. If you just put in the in the search in the search bar, you put in Golasso Network. And I'm actually, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to check for you and tell you what channel that Golasso is on Pluto TV so that you can search for it. Again, you don't have to get Pluto TV, but that's my recommendation because I think it's a, an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal uh, product 
it is completely ad supported so there's no subscription fee um, right now for example the Golasso channel is showing Manchester City versus Real Madrid they're re-airing the match and it doesn't look like the channels are actually numbered but if you go into the if you go in if you select sports under the categories okay if you select that you will find it some of the other things that are on the sports you have CBS uh, sports line picks and previews uh, under under ESPN HQ, you have a Fox Sports channel. You have an NFL channel here. Um, it's not quite the NFL Network, but it's the NFL channel. Again, you have Golasso. You have Pluto Sports, which is actually showing a Europa League game right now. So there's other soccer content here. There's a lot of MMA, uh, the PFL, the Pro Fighters League vault. There's the uh, Bellator MMA channel, Impact Wrestling, like I said. There's uh, Glory Kickboxing here. BN Sports Extra, also available on Pluto TV for free. This is, this is um, if you like poker, there's World Poker Tour and Poker After Dark. There's gaming and anime channels, okay, with all kinds of gaming stuff. Uh, there's music channels you can watch. You can watch live music 24 hours a day. It's concert after concert. You got uh, Vivo, the streaming service you see a lot of time on YouTube, the Vivo videos that a lot of the music videos are released on. Now you have Sounds of the 70s, Alternative 80s, Hip Hop at 50 is another channel. All kinds of stuff going on there. Yo MTV Raps as a channel. You have old VH1 stuff, you got old MTV stuff because MTV is a Viacom property and uh, basically all the music they don't play on TV is now on Pluto TV. So you can actually uh, get your fix there. There's, like I said, movie channels. Uh, there's a CSI channel, CSI New York, CSI Miami, CSI in Espanol. You have all kinds of stuff here. Anything, A Walking Dead channel, you have an AMC in Espanol channel. All kinds of stuff. Again, I could sit here all day and tell you the endless channels that they have here on this platform. There's a whole kids section. There's local channels, too. You can watch local channels out of several different uh, markets. I see, just quick glance, I see Detroit. I see Los Angeles. I see Miami. All the CBS news outlets in those markets. And, again, there is uh, other kinds of entertainment, like I said, there's a Hawaii Five O channel. There's a Showtime Selects that shows what looks like Dexter all the time. Uh, Walker Texas Ranger. There's NCIS playing on a more drama TV. Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero has its own channel. Twenty four hours of that. Twenty four hours of Baywatch. You get the idea. Go over, uh, download it for free. It's called Pluto TV, and get the Golasso Network. What you'll see on the Golasso Network now. Um, I think the most valuable part of it is the morning, uh, the morning show, which is called uh, Morning Footy. Okay, um, and Morning Footy is hosted by Morning Footy is hosted by Susanna Collins, uh, Charlie Davies, former U.S. Men's International player, uh, Nico Cantar, a very well-known. Uh, personality the son of course of the legendary andreas cantor um you also have alexis guerros sorry alexis guerreros and J jenny chu they the, those five make up the morning footy crew and they're on 
weekday mornings 7 to 9, but then it re-airs re again at 9 to 11 and again at 11 to 1. So if you miss something, you just wait a little while. It's it's the way we grew up watching SportsCenter when I was a kid. It just is on all morning, and it just repeats. It's on, it's on a loop. After that, Box to Box hits their airwaves from 1 to 2 p.m. every afternoon. That's hosted by Poppy Miller, who you'll know from watching Serie A on Paramount Plus if you watch Serie A. And she is joined by Ian Joy and Aaron West as analysts. And both shows tap into CBS's deep talent pool for contributors. And you'll regularly see appearances from from Guillen Balaguer, from Anita James, Felipe Cardenas, and Jimmy Conrad, for example. And it also sprinkles in some rerun, some, um, sorry, it also sprinkles, sprinkles in matches from Paramount Plus's and from other library of rights that CBS, Paramount, Viacom own, okay? So um you'll get a random Italian league match here on a day, you'll get you'll get a Europa League match on another day, you'll get a Brazilian match, an Argentine match, whatever. They do sprinkle in full matches, full match replays. Every once in a while there's live matches as well to give you a taste of the product and what you can get at Paramount Plus. I think it's a great opportunity. This if this were around a year ago, I think Major League Soccer would have ended up with with CBS. I'm going to say that right now. NWSL has it made here. They they have a great partner in CBS because now they're getting their games on Golasso for free, okay? Um when they're not on the CBS over the air. They got, you know, over the top coverage for free on Golasso. Um, and also the the shows Morning Footy and Box to Box they cover these leagues they cover MLS they cover NWSL they cover Wrexham they cover everything they cover the Argentine league they 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 keep it moving they talk Belgian league sometimes they just keep what's relevant in football going you're not going to get the same story over and over every day it's a very very uh, good show and honestly this is the Network soccer never knew they needed here in America. I I am so ecstatic that they've put it on there. Um, again, because it's on these platforms, it, it's funding itself through through advertising. And listen, they've spent they've spent some some pretty money getting talent. Like I mean, these got their talent was already on on under contract to CBS. Um, and most of them were, were on Paramount Plus for different projects, whether it be the Serie A or the Europa League or the Conference League or the Champions League, the Brasileirão, the uh, CONCACAF uh, qualifiers and Nations League that, that CBS has has the rights to. It, they've, they've pooled all that talent together. And um, yeah, it, it's too bad that, that this wasn't around a year ago and this CBS could have been a real player for uh, Major League Soccer, and I think they would have been more into this um, to fill out programming for this this network because now when you have this big of a platform and you have this many hours to fill, you're looking to acquire content. And um, a sub, you know, a an Apple-CBS partnership probably would have been the best way to ease into the streaming age for Major League Soccer. But... That said, they are the ones showing the U.S. Open Cup now. The U.S. Open Cup has moved. Okay, it was on ESPN last year. It was moved in the right deal that was signed by U.S. Soccer for its its men's and women's national team uh, deals for friendlies and I think home home matches 
home friendlies maybe is what they they purchase. I don't remember exactly what um, the new Warner Brothers Discovery uh, acquired and Warner Brothers Discovery uses uh, uses TNT or TBS as their TV partners as well when they want to televise, when they want to put it in front of the paywall, not behind it. But this is supposed to drive, you know, U.S. soccer was supposed to be on Warner Brothers Discovery in their new Max app, their new Max, I should say, their streaming service called Max, and um, they weren't interested in the U.S. Open Cup, <laughs> essentially, and with the first round being on uh, YouTube and the teams being left with the cost to shoot and produce their own matches, um, the quality was not good. Fans were, were up in a roar. I found it okay. I mean, I'm used to watching matches on YouTube. Uh, it comes from, you know, the years I spent in, in the USL and the PDL. We would have loved to have things on YouTube. My club put matches on YouTube. Um, was it costly? Well, we were lucky that one of our volunteers had qu- equipment. But Golasso stepped in and said, hey, we could we could televise this. And if, in round three, I think, was the first round that Golasso picked up these matches and what they did was because they're part of this CBS infrastructure uh, they piggybacked off local CBS affiliates in I think Miami and in another city I don't remember anymore but between those two uh, CBS affiliates they showed two live matches now they're picking them all up and uh, now you're seeing the US Open Cup on Golasso Network and I think that's fantastic that's a perfect home for the U.S. Open Cup, and Don Garber has made comments in the past slamming the U.S. Open Cup and saying that it's second rate. Well, he's complaining about the pitches and the stadiums that these matches are being played in. Clearly, I don't think he's ever put his eyes on the FA Cup and how awesome it is when a Premier League team goes to, well, this year, Wrexham, but a Yeovil Town is always the club I think of. Uh, or Scunthorpe United on a muddy pitch on a Wednesday night or on a Saturday night in the rain. Because, again, that's another problem with the U.S. Open Cup is that these matches are played during the week and not on weekends. And uh, I know Garber's not going to give up weekend scheduling for his league in order to facilitate that. He seems annoyed by the existence of this tournament. But, again, if you're going to come, you to me, Don Garber loses his right to complain about stadiums when you have teams playing at, dare I say, Gillette Stadium, Yankee Stadium. Heck, even the surfaces they play on, they're nice stadiums, but the surfaces they play on in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, and Atlanta and Charlotte, no good, no bueno. Those, those surfaces are no good either. You cannot call out the U.S. Open Cup because somebody's playing at Ventura County Community College and there's football lines on the pitch. Guess what? You are Major League Soccer and your teams run into situations where there's football lines on the pitch in the fall when the matches are the most important and when most eyes are on it. That's an eyesore. And um, really, Don Garber shouldn't throw stones from his glass house. But that's just what I think about that. So do check it out. Check out uh, Morning Footy and check, especially Morning Footy. If you're a fan of Sports Center, like it was in the 90s, like I am, you know, the early 2000s, check out Morning Footy. It is a soccer version of 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 Sports Center with good analysts, people that know the game. And uh, yeah, I gotta tip my hat to to CBS for putting this together. This is phenomenal. 
Um, never imagined this possible at this stage in America. A free network showing football 24 hours a day for free and giving in-depth coverage. Hats off to Golasso Network. So uh, make sure you get it. All right. Um, again, it's it's got all kinds of content and it's only going to get better. Okay, pivoting now to Liga MX, la gran final. The first leg of the final. Of course, let's talk about the semifinals really quickly. Um, of course, as you know, the Me- you probably know by now, the Mexican League, if you think Major League Soccer has an incredibly high um, number of, uh, of teams making the the postseason, 12 of 18 Mexican teams make the postseason. So we finally got to the quarterfinals and the semifinals. In the semifinals, I'll just pick it up from there. You have the two, probably the two biggest rivalries in all of Mexico squaring off with each other. You have in one semifinal, the Clásico Regio, the match between Tigres and Monterrey. It's a derby in the Monterrey region. That's why it's called the Clásico Regio. Monterrey, as you know, means the King's Mountain. Regio means royalty. Um, something to that extent. Um, but uh, they they meet each other in uh, that in that duel uh, over two legs to arch rivals. And in the other semifinal, it is the Super Clásico de México. It is America and Chivas. And again, longtime listeners know where my biases li- uh, lie in this tie. Um, I'm very much an Americanista. When it, and if I pick a team in Mexico, it has always been since I was a small child and I discovered Univision on my television with rabbit ears. Um, I have always been Club America. Um, it's the the yellow kit and the way that they, they used to have the Coca-Cola sponsor. Coca-Cola was my favorite beverage, my favorite thing in the world as a kid. My parents wouldn't let me drink it. And, um, ever, and I always took on Club America as my Mexican team. And now as an adult, Chivas uh, is a club whose philosophy I wholeheartedly disagree with. I cannot get behind um, I've explained it before. I'm sure I'll explain it again. But anyhow, Chivas got to the semifinals by beating their other archrival in a Guadalajara derby. It was Chivas versus Atlas that finished 1-1 on aggregate. And again, my favorite rule about Mexican football is in the playoffs. If it is tied on aggregate after two legs, the higher seed, the team that did better in the regular season, advances. MLS, this is how you do it. I've been saying this now for two seasons. Never mind best out of three. This isn't this isn't the NHL and the NBA. That's too much. You play two legs, and if it's tied, the team that did better in the regular season advances. That way, each team gets a home match, but you're not playing endless extra minutes, okay? And you're making the regular season count, which is something Major League Soccer needs to figure out how to do. And I'm saying that as a huge fan of the league and Listen, unfortunately, I'm not the average viewer because if I was, they'd be fine because I'm loving everything Major League Soccer's putting on my on my screen this this year. Uh, I'm finding good matches, great matches every weekend. Okay, maybe it's because I'm not so attached to uh, a single club. I don't know. Um, I think if you're watching just one club, maybe you have a different you know uh, opinion of the league. But anyway. Um, when my next video drops, I think you may find out that I do. I have adopted 
uh, team here. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you might you might find out uh, when the when the video drops uh, that I may or may not have adopted an MLS team here. But anyhow, back to America versus Chivas in this semifinal. Okay. So, America had advanced 4-3 to three on aggregate, knocking out Atletico San Luis, setting up this Clásico de los Clásicos, this Super Clásico de México. Chivas versus America, the country, is largely divided. I mean, the football, the football fandom, it's, it's literally the... These are the two most supported clubs um, and the two most bitter rivals with two polar opposite ideologies. It's, it, it makes for great stuff. And it started great for Las Aguilas, for, for the Eagles, for the, the Azul Crema, the, the yellow and blue. They went into the, the Estadio Akron, home of Chivas, of their most hated rival in their it's not a derby. It's a separate city. They had to go into another city and take on their derby. It's very much like, in this aspect, it's very much like Real Madrid versus Barcelona or the rivalry that I obviously very much am animated by Porto and Benfica. It's not a. It is not a a city rivalry. It's not a derby. It is City A versus City B, or it is really. It actually is a lot more like Benfica Porto because. Uh, it is City A, uh, Guadalajara versus the capital, while America's fandom is not just concentrated in the capital. It is throughout Mexico. So, very, very similar. Anyhow, America go into, into Guadalajara, and they win. They win the first leg. They win the first leg 1-0 over Chivas, okay, in their home stadium. I was ecstatic. I watched this. I stayed up late that night. They were playing the same night as my Celtics. I mean, I have not slept a lot the last couple of weeks, let me tell you. Uh, that's all over now because the Celtics threw it all away last night, but this is a football podcast. Congratulations to the Heat. I'll just say that. They're probably going to win. I don't know who's going to win the finals, actually. But anyhow, uh, that's got to be like the fourth or fifth anyhow I've said in the last five minutes. Uh, America wins the first leg at Chivas. I thought America were, were golden. Sunday night, I tune in. Um, the second leg was Sunday night, May 21st. I tune in ready with my, you know, I've got my, I've got my Modelo ready that night. I went out and bought a case of Modelo for this one. I'm ready to watch America get to the final. Thinking this is it. They're finally going to take back the crown and they're going to pass Chivas for the most championships right now. Chivas and America are level, I believe, with 12 championships apiece. Chivas do go ahead first though. In this match, this match was was quite a match. Chivas went ahead first. Cisneros made it one nil for Chivas, but in the fifty seventh, in the fifty seventh, Diego Valdez, the Chilean, twenty nine year old for America, puts America level on the night ahead on aggregate, ahead in the table. Chivas need two goals now to advance. If it finishes tied, remember, Chivas would be eliminated. America finished second in the table. Chivas third. However, however, things would take a horrible uh, turn for America. If you're a Chivas fan, you're loving this because it would come by way of... By way of a sending off here in the second half, and it is Alvaro Fidalgo, the Spanish 26-year-old midfielder for America, sent off on a, I'll be quite honestly, an idiotic challenge. Reduces his team to 10, and 
just about immediately after that sending off, literally moments later in the 76th, the Mosul makes it 2-1 two, two, one, two to, one to, uh, to Chivas on the night and 2-2 two, two on aggregate. Still, America are advancing. They got a full Azteca behind them. You still had to fancy America to get through to the final. But in the 88, Orozco. Yes, Orozco. Jesus Orozco, to be exact. The 21-year-old center back, Mexican center back. Of course, he's Mexican. Only Mexicans allowed on Chivas. Big reason I uh, have an issue with, with that. I see that as very discriminatory. I feel the same way about Athletic Bilbao. I don't, I don't get behind those clubs. But in the, the, that's not the topic of conversation here. But Jesus Orozco puts Chivas ahead. Los Rojiblancos, three-two. America unable to find a late goal that would have equalized the tie and sent them through on the tiebreaker. Chivas advanced to the final. And in the final, it w- they would wait for. Well, actually, they they qualified second. They would meet Tigres, who made, um, also who also managed to go on the road to the the Estadio BBVA and beat Monterrey Reados, their rivals, in the second leg. That was one night before Chivas did it. Uh, the first leg on Wednesday, May 17th, finished 1-1 at El Volcan, which is the home stadium of Tigres. Uh, the better known, or I shouldn't say better known, it's better known as El Volcan. It's officially called El Estadio Universitario. Uh, the Nuevo León, I think, is the name. Nuevo León is the the name of the the state that they are that the city of Monterrey is located in. And uh, Tigres and Monterrey draw 1-1 at El Volcan, but in the second leg. At the BBVA, the home of Reados, Tigres go in and eliminate their rivals thanks to a goal from Francisco Cordoba, the 25-year-old Mexican center midfielder. And suddenly, El Aria Azul, the, the gold and blue, find themselves in the final yet again. I mean, they are the most successful Mexican club of the last decade. No question about it. Um, and a, a couple of players in the squad here going for their fifth Liga MX title. I'm talking, of course, about the French legend for, for Tigres at this point. He's going on almost a decade at this club. I'm talking about André Pierre Gignac and also... The Argentine goalkeeper, Nahuel Guzman, both of them going after their fifth Liga Mekis title here in this final. So it is Chivas versus Tigres in the final. The first leg is played at El Volcan. And um, that was pl- the first leg was played last Wednesday. Uh, and um, that one finished nil-nil at, at the Volcan. Um, not much to talk about. The two sides cancel each other out. The exciting thing about this is it left it all to play for on Sunday night in Guadalajara. And the Estadio Akron was absolutely jumping. Okay. It was absolutely jumping in Guadalajara. I don't have an attendance here on FOTMOB. Um, let me take a quick look. And actually, I did find the attendance here. It was a full house of 42,182. 
Chivas just come out flying like Usain Bolt out of out of the blocks. Absolutely, you couldn't have of of drawn it up any better for the home side. Roberto Alvarado would put Chivas ahead in the tenth minute on an assist from Alexis Vega. And Victor Guzman would double the lead 10 minutes later. And this time, Alvarado was the assister on the play. He had a goal and an assist in the first 20 minutes. Really looked like he was on his way to a man-of-the-match performance. And Chivas take that lead into halftime. And at that point, you know, you had to you had to see a change coming. And Robert Siboldi... Robert the manager for Tigres, the Uruguayan manager, 57 years old. He does make a move here in the 46th minute. He subs on two. He subs on. He subs on Fernando Goriaran, his Uruguayan compatriot, who's a 28-year-old center midfielder. And he subs on another compatriot of his, another Uruguayan, Nicolas Lopez, 29-year-old striker. They come on at halftime. And they replace they replace Juan Pablo Vigón and Diego Lainez, uh, respectively. Okay, and you see much more purpose in the attack from Tigres here. And this team is incredibly experienced. They've been here before. They're not phased. Um, they just they come out flying here. And it took them a little while though. It didn't happen right away. It did not happen right away. And Chivas would would go to the bench as well, and their manager, uh, their Serbian manager, Veljko Paunovic. Now, again, here's another thing I find hypocritical about Chivas is that they have a Mexican player-only policy, yet they always hire foreign managers. Um, It just doesn't add up for me. And anyhow, their Serbian manager sends on... At the 61st minute, he sends on Isaac Brizuela and replaces Ronaldo Cisneros, as well as sending on Pavel Perez to replace Alexis Vega. And man, was Panovic going to regret the, this double change. Within minutes, Brizueño goes into the referee's uh, book here. Um, so not to be confused, you have Briseño and Brizuela. But in the... It was two minutes after this substitution. Briseño would bring down. I believe he brought down. He brought down Lopez in the area, and no, he he handled the ball. Excuse me. It was a it was a play that was whipped in by the Tigres wingback by Aquino, um, Javier Aquino, thirty three year old right back, Mexican right back, whips in across, and the ball hits. To be honest, a clumsy Briseño who goes for it with his head but decides to leave his arm flailing out, and it goes right against his arm. There's absolutely no defense for it. The referee hesitates at first, but within a three-second delay or so, points to the spot, and it is a penalty. Up steps their French legend, André Pierre Gignac, the former West Ham and Marseille man who has now spent many, many years, I have to say, at uh, at Tigres. Uh, he, he is quite the veteran at this point, and he steps up and he converts the penalty, sending it up the middle while 
Chivas's goalkeeper, Miguel Ponce Jimenez, dives to his left. And the lead is cut in half, and Tigres are back in it at this point. And still with just under a half hour to find the equalizer. And for, for Andre Pierre Gignac, that is his 163rd career goal in a Tigres uniform. 294 appearances for Tigres. This has become the club he is most associated with. And I misspoke when I said he was a former West Ham player. I, the the truth is Tigres actually took him from West Ham in a sense that those were the two teams down to, to they were racing for his signature. He has played 100 matches for Toulouse and 155 for Marseille. And now ever since 2015, he's applied his trade in Mexico for Tigres. And he's 36 caps for the French national team. Played in that Euro 2016 final for France as well. 163 career goals for Tigres. And again, it is more and more Tigres just pushing forward. Another substitution comes in after the goal. Nicolas Ibanez replaces Jesus Garza. In the 68th, Francisco Cordova goes into the book for a yellow card. Keep that uh, in mind. Keep that name in mind. But then in the 71st, it's Javier Aquino again with another driven diagonal cross from his right back position. Plays it to the corner, the left corner of the small goal area of the what some people call the goalie box. And here comes Cordova. He beats his man. He beats he beats Mozo and Briseño to it. Briseño just having a, a nightmarish second half here, as he get they both get beat behind them. Uh, they both uh, let him get in behind, and Cordova cuts to goal and has what ends up looking like a pretty easy header. Jimenez does not look good in this one either. He's far. He's way too far to the near post. Leaves the far post wide open. Cordova makes it 2-2, and this one is going to extra time, no question about it. And in extra time, you will see even more drama. Victor Guzman goes in the in the referee's book for a yellow card in the 101st. In the 101st, we have more substitutions for, for uh, Vleko Panjovic. And again, I think he misdoes it. Uh, Mozo had already cost him. He brings on Jesus Sanchez. Former Charlotte FC striker Daniel Rios comes on for Pavel Perez. And Alan Torres replaces Fernando Gonzalez. Nahuel Guzman sees a yellow card in the 108th minute for time-wasting. While Guido Pizarro, two minutes later, yes, Guido Pizarro, Another legend of this club, another man who's been here a long, long time. The 33-year-old Argentine scores what it will end up being the winner for Tigres. They see out the result at 120 minutes, plus five, after sending off Cordova and after sending off Sepulveda in the final moments. 10 on 10 is how this one finishes. The referee... Uh, his name was, uh, his, his name's not here. <laughs> the referees, he, he ends the match there at 120 plus five. And it is, 
Tigres winning 3-2 on the night, 3-2 on aggregate, and for the eighth time, champion of Mexico. They are the Clausura 2023 champion. They'll now play a playoff against Monterrey, if I'm not mistaken. They No, Pachuca. Against Pachuca, who were the Apertura champions. Uh, they'll play that match this summer. I believe it's in Carson, California. And the winner of that will take on the MLS Cup champion LAFC in the Campeones Cup later this year. Um, congratulations, of course, to Tigres. Congratulations to to you know their longtime players, the Cordovas, the Gignacs, the Rafael Cariocas, the Nahuel uh, Nahuel Guzmans, and the the Javier Aquinos and the Guido Pizarros of the world. Congratulations. UNAL, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de León. No, sorry. Universidad Autónoma de Nueva León. Uh, that is their official name, the university, the Autonomous University of Nueva León. They're named after the university, the Tigres. And uh, they are Mexican champions once again. Okay, that wraps up Mexico for now. Other news that just dropped today. Okay, before I take a break here, news that dropped just today. Galatasaray clinched their 23rd Turkish Super League title today uh, with a 4-1 victory. And that puts them five points ahead of Fenerbahce, ahead of their showdown with Fenerbahce in the final match day. But it's not going to be the dramatic finish that the neutrals would have hoped for because with that five-point lead, Galatasaray, champions of Turkey, Congratulations to Galatasaray. Also, uh, the United States U-20 national team today at the U-20 World Cup picked up a big 4-0 victory in the round of 16 over New Zealand. They now advance to the quarterfinals. And I'll be keeping tabs on them and maybe giving you some quick uh, some, some, some quick post-game coverage, maybe the rest of the way, uh, short 15-20 minute recaps, whatever I can do. But I will try to keep my eye on this U-20 U.S. team that is doing very well. And speaking of the U.S., more news came out of U.S. soccer today, May the 30th. Uh, interim national team manager Anthony Hudson has left the national team, according to the Athletics' Paul Tenorio, um, or to his source, I should say. Uh, Anthony Hudson is going to take a job in the Middle East with a club, and it's an opportunity that cannot be passed up. Listen, he knows he's not the one that's going to become the permanent national team manager, and it's a very it's a no brainer. He took a probably very well paying uh, national team uh, club team job, excuse me. So U.S. Soccer has named his assistant B.J. Callahan has been named the new interim manager. So the interim to the interim. And um, again, Anthony Hudson has departed. And Anthony Hudson did leave a message on Twitter today. And to be fair, um, I think I'm more familiar with Anthony Hudson than the average U.S. soccer fan uh, because, well, he managed New Zealand's national team in the past. And he's also mentioned in Andre Village Boas's autobiography as, as being 
taken in by him under his wing when Andre Vilas Boas was managing, I think he was managing the U.S. Virgin Islands or the British Virgin Islands national team. He took over one of those small national teams when he was a young manager, and they actually worked together. Anthony Hudson has quite a bit of, of experience. Uh, most people in the United States only know him for his time managing the Houston Dynamo, I, I want to say it was. But here is his message today on Twitter, Anthony Hudson. He said he'd like to uh, – Anthony Hudson, this is verbatim. I would like to say a huge thank you to the players and staff that I had the privilege to work with over these past years. I'm incredibly proud to have been part of such an amazing group and involved in such an unforgettable campaign. I can't wait to see this team continue to grow and develop. This is a group of top players and, more importantly, top people. The future of the USMNT is very exciting. That's from Anthony Hudson as he departs. And it sounds like, according to Paul Tenorio, he's headed to the Middle East. And um, good for him. He's got to take care of himself. Uh, so BJ Callahan and a lot of people are saying, who is he? I don't know who he is. Uh, he He's the assistant to the assistant to the assistant. So uh, I'm assuming he's he's also was part of of Greg Berhalter's staff, as Anthony Hudson was. Not sure. But uh, he is going to take over for the Nations League and the Gold Cup. Um, other news that's dropping today, Jesse Marsh, who I've wanted to see as the U.S. national team manager. Not everyone agrees with me. He's a very polarizing uh, figure. But uh, he's being, I don't like to get into rumors, but he's being rumored to be a candidate for the Monaco position. And uh, they talked about it on Morning Footy this morning. And Charlie Davies says if Monaco gives you the opportunity, you have to go if you're Jesse Marsh. You can't sit around waiting for the United States to make a decision. What if they make a, What if they go in a different direction? Uh, he needs to take that. And you, he can always come back and manage the national team, which I agree with that. But he can't always get an opportunity like Monaco. And to be honest, if you're Jesse Marsh, Monaco are a team in the top half of the French table. And uh, you've just you've just basically had to deal with a nightmare situation at Leeds United. You were brought in under the worst of circumstances. You were sacked. Uh, sorry, before you were sacked, you saved the team from relegation. And then before you even found yourself back in relegation, you were sacked. And guess what? It didn't work. Leeds were were relegated anyway. And um, uh, if you're Jesse Marsh and it is in fact, and if in fact you do have the opportunity to go to to Monaco, I think it's a no-brainer. The U.S. I know the U.S. national team is attractive to an American coach because of the fact that you can coach the national team on home soil, but that also is going to bring unrealistic, uh, most likely going to bring unrealistic uh, expectations from from the media, from the fan base. That's already kind of a jaded fan base and kind of a a fan base that sees things a little bit uh, a little bit inaccurately maybe is the best way I can say it they have a very inflated view of of their own abilities but we'll see what happens here and uh, yeah that's the latest news on that front I'm going to take a quick break here and uh, when I come back we're going to talk about some European football okay uh, champions have been crowned all across Europe I'll I'll run down the list of champions and I'll give my my two cents on the Dortmund collapse. And after that, we'll have just a few other things. We'll have a quick check-in on the table in Major League Soccer. 
the Brasileirão, and the Liga Argentina. All when we come back here on episode 100 of the Parking the Bus podcast. Again, follow the network and the show on Twitter and Instagram at PTB underscore media. And follow me on on Twitter, excuse me, at Mike Agostino. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. I'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 100 of Parking the Bus here on the Parking the Bus podcast feed, part of the PTB and founding program of the PTB Media Network. All right, we're going to take a look at what's gone on in Europe now. Europe has completed their seasons for the most part. Turkey still has a round to play, of course, because they had to stop the league due to that tragic earthquake. Uh, we do have cup finals also coming up this coming week. So another match I'm probably going to do a recap of will be the FA Cup final this coming weekend between Manchester United and Manchester City. But we're looking right now at the champions of last season. So here are how some of the Europeans or most of the European leagues finished this season. Okay, we'll start, as you know, in Serie A, the champions were Napoli. It was a storybook season for Napoli. Uh, an absolute dream come true, and I'm sure it, it's a coincidence, but an amazing 12 months for people who were diehard fans of the late Diego Maradona as his Argentina and his Napoli both won championships neither had been champion since he was representing them of course argentina winning the world cup in december and now napoli winning the scudetto for the first time since 1990 a fantastic uh, accomplishment for a club that is not regularly seen as one of the top in the Serie A. and um interestingly enough uh, luciano spalletti has stepped down. He's asked to be let out of his contract a year early. And the club and the manager have agreed to part ways. So that is a very hot job on the market right now. Who will be the new manager of Napoli? But they are the Serie A champions. I'm going to hold off talking about the Bundesliga because that's where I'm going to finish this segment because that's the one that came down to the wire. But in Spain, Barcelona... Uh, despite the financial troubles, despite everything going on at the club, despite investigations of possible uh, match fixing or in referee intimidation or referee coercion, uh, they are the champions of Spain. They beat they beat um, Real Madrid by 11 points. And I wasn't even close to Real Madrid once again, as they've done several times. Put all their eggs in the Champions League basket, except this time none of them made it to the end so barcelona are the champions in spain and it'll be interesting to see what they come back with next year because next year they cannot get away with being eliminated from the group stage of the champions league for a third straight year that would be the end of xavi in my in my estimation uh xavi's one of my favorite players i know i'm harsh and i'm sometimes very critical of barcelona mostly for what happens off the pitch mostly for what happens in the boardroom and on the balance sheet um, but also I think they are too married to their football philosophy. And I think that sometimes they become very, very elitist in that marriage to that philosophy and that they'll even, you know, go as far as to say that they're playing in their philosophy is more important than winning. And, uh, that turns me off to teams. I'm going to be 
very, very honest with you. There's been times in my life where I'd never missed a Barcelona match. I watched them all. Uh, I have Barcelona gear. I have a jersey. I have a sweatshirt. I, I've got Real Madrid gear as well because, well, you know, it is. I like football. I like football gear. That's just what it is. Um, and I don't have a deep emotional attachment to these teams. But Barcelona, uh, they are the champions despite everything. Uh, obviously a job well done by uh, Xavi Hernandez as he has guided them through some very, very rough waters and found them on their way to uh, to winning the title for the first time in a little bit here. Uh, also, in Ligue 1, no surprise, the title went to Paris Saint-Germain. 85 points as they held off Lens. And maybe one of the best stories in Europe this year is this tiny club known as Lens. Uh, they finished with 81 points, PSG with 85, and uh, PSG win yet another title. Uh, but again, they, it, it's very corporate with PSG, and the title celebrations are usually pretty mute. Moot. Nothing like I saw at my club at Benfica this weekend, um, a party that went until nearly 3 in the morning in the city square with music and beer and fireworks and pyro everywhere. And uh, a DJ and and you know, but bu- bu- an open bus parade, if you want to call it, procession through the city, um, as well as it's in in every small city and town throughout Portugal, throughout many of the Portuguese expat communi- communities around the world in the diaspora, plus in uh, most of the Portuguese speaking countries in the world outside of Portugal, uh, there were celebrations everywhere. Much different uh, sentiment, a much different situation at PSG where just winning the French League is not even considered a success. Uh, Lionel Messi's goal for PSG was his 496th career league goal in Europe, and that means that he broke Cristiano Ronaldo's scoring record of Europe's top five leagues by one goal. Um but again, uh, if, unless you're a PSG fan, this doesn't interest any anybody. Had Lance actually took them of the title, that would have been one heck of a story. Uh, elsewhere in Europe, in the Netherlands, Feyenoord were champions, breaking the hold of of PSG, PSV, excuse me, and Ajax. And uh, congratulations to them. I mean, it's it's always great when you get to see a new champion in leagues. Uh, Belgium still undecided. Nobody has won yet the championship in Belgium. In Turkey, as I said earlier, the title went to Galatasaray and in Portugal to Benfica, as I'd already said. Uh, in Greece, a new champion, Olympiakos's run is snapped. And this year, the champion is Ike Athens. The Athletic Union of Constantinople is what AEK stands for. Ike Athens, uh, this is their second title since they had to refound the club in the local amateur levels and go up the pyramid again um, from the bottom and restructure the club. This is their second title. And no doubt that it's an exciting moment for their supporters. And it reminds me of my late friend Foti, who was a diehard Ike fan, I'm sure he is smiling, uh, seeing his beloved Ike win un- win the title again. Uh, this is the second one that they've won, if I'm not mistaken. This no, this is the first one that they've won since his passing. Now I'm, my memory is fa- is f- 
My memory is failing me at the moment, but in Greece, the champion is Ike by the slimmest of margins over Panathinaikos. Staying in that region of the world, uh, we move to the Swiss League. And the Swiss Super League was won once again by Young Boys, their 16th title uh, in their history and their, their fifth of the last six years, their run held up only by a Zurich title in 21-22. Before that, you had one, two, three, four, It looks like you had eight straight one by Basel. Basel, of course, were just moments away from a penalty shootout that could have sent them to the Europa Conference League final. Uh, but they have not been Swiss champions since 2016-2017. Uh, and the league has belonged to young boys ever since. And again, like I said, this is their fifth title in six years. Congratulations to young boys. In the Austrian Bundesliga, once again, was won by Red Bull Salzburg. 17th title all-time and their 10th straight title. Uh, it's absolutely a dynasty. A dynasty that I have to admit was started the first title for Red Bull Leipzig in this run of 10 was by a manager by the name of Roger Schmidt, who is the Benfica manager today, just saying. Uh, Salzburg completely dominant in the Austrian Bundesliga, basically ever since Red Bull's purchase for the most part. They went on and became quite the quite the, the powerhouse having won three titles before that under their previous name, which was SV Austria Salzburg. Uh, since the switch to Red Bull Leipzig, it has been it has been 14 titles now for Red Bull Leipzig. They are not, however, the most champion, the most times champion in the Austrian Bundesliga. That title belongs to Rapid Vienna, 32-time champions. And 29-time runners-up. Second goes to Austria Vienna, 24 times champion. 19 times runners-up. And then you find RB Salzburg there. Red Bull Salzburg, 17 championships, 7 runner-up finishes. And um, it's another business-as-usual season for Red Bull Salzburg. In the Scottish Premier League, Celtic return. To their throne, it's actually called the Scottish Premiership or the Cinch Premiership for sponsorship purposes. They changed it. They dropped the name Premier League in 2013, but still known by many people as the SPL. It, like I said, Celtic, they won once again, and uh, they won their ninth title in this iteration of the of the league, as it's called the Premiership. But uh, it is another dominant season, of course, for the Hoops. And looking at the table, they would win this one over their arch-rivals, their ne nemesis Rangers, by seven points. This was Celtic's 53rd Scottish Championship. Uh, of course, they are still, though, two behind Rangers for the most Scottish titles. So I'm sure they are going to be very eager to win those in the next two years while they have their rival you know, on the ropes a little bit in that regard. Um, it's their second title in a row, and it is their, well, it is their 
my goodness, it's like their 13th of the last 14. So Rangers has one title since 2011. And uh, that's the only thing that has broken up this dominance of Celtic. Uh, they are the winners. A little south of there, of course, in the English Premier League. Everybody knows Arsenal bottled it. They fell apart. Manchester City, yet again, champions. And they win now their fifth in six years. And they seem like they're not stopping anytime soon. It, I, I find it very hard to see anybody getting past Man City anytime soon. And I see them winning probably four or five more titles in the next, you know, in, in the next five years. And really closing the gap on Liverpool and Manchester United. Right now, the total stands at nine titles for Manchester City. But they have won here recently in this modern era. They were champions in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. And then champions in 2017 and 18, 18, 19, 2021, 20, 21, 22, and 22, 23. The only break in there, as you know, is 18, 19 when Liverpool pried the title away from them. Um, like I said, I wouldn't shock me if they win eight or nine of the next 10 in England unless something drastically changes. Perhaps Newcastle's, you know, Newcastle's newfound wealth may stifle City a little bit, but they're run well. They're coached well. Even when, when Pep messes up, they're just too talented to have it really affect them. They are the champions in England. In Romania, their champion is for only the second time in their history, FCV Farul Constanta. They are better they are known by their nickname the Sailors or the Sharks. They are the new champions of Romania. This is their second league title. They added to their 2016-17 league title in the Liga 1, as it's known in Romania. And uh, this is a team that not that long ago was in the third division. They won the third division in 2009-2010 and in 2017-2018. So um, it's a new name. It's a name you don't see a lot. And it'll be exciting to see if they can navigate their way into the Champions League next year through the, through the Champions path. Okay, I know I'm not... Getting into every country in Europe, of course, as there are just too many to, to list. In the Israeli Premier League, it is Maccabi Haifa winning their third in a row. In the Danish Superliga, it is FC Copenhagen, while Sparta Prague are the champions of the Czech Republic. While Aris Limassol were the champions in Cyprus. I know I'm probably forgetting a league, but now I'm going to move to the one, a league or two. But now I'm going to move to the one I want to talk about. Okay, I'm going to talk about the Bundesliga. And yet another collapse for Borussia Dortmund this season. They were closer than they have ever been. Not ever, but than they've been in the most recent history. They had a chance to end the Bayern Munich title streak at 10. And they show up on Saturday with a two-point lead in the table. Needing just a victory at home to Mainz to win the Bundesliga. Or, to, or they needed help from Cologne who were taking on Bayern. And if you would write up the worst possible way for Borussia Dortmund to start this match with Mainz then you were right. That is how it happened. It was the worst possible way. 
to start. It was Mainz's Andreas Hunch Olsen scoring in the 15th minute. And the nervousness set in in the Westville Stadion at that moment as the Dortmund faithful tried to get behind their team. In the 19th minute, Rafael Guerrero is taken down in the penalty area. However, uh, the referee does need to go to VAR in order to call it. He doesn't call it at first. Once he looks at the VAR, no choice but to call it. And Erdin Tazic sends... Sebastian Haller to the penalty spot. Well, I don't know if the manager sent him to the spot or not. A lot of times it is the players that that uh, decide. Or Aiden Terzic, I should say, is the coach's name. But it is Haller who steps up and takes it. And he does a couple of hops, a couple of bounds. The goalie doesn't bite. And then he takes an absolutely terrible penalty kick that is uh, really... Easily saved by Finn Daman, the goalkeeper for Mainz. It stays 1-0 there. It stays 1-0 until the 24th minute, just under 10 minutes later, when Mainz would double their lead thanks to their striker, Kareem Onisiwo, the Austrian 31-year-old striker, makes it 2-0 to Mainz. And at that time, Bayern Munich had also gone in the lead. Then in the second half, things get a little bit exciting. Bayern um, allows Cologne to pull a level 1-1. And suddenly, there's a little bit of belief again in the Dortmund faithful. And at that point, in the 69th minute, it is Rafael Guerrero who scores what is his final goal in a Dortmund uniform as he is leaving Dortmund here. And it, at the end of the season, he's now a free agent. He did not re-sign. Rumors actually have him pointed to to Bayern Munich, which is just what Bayern Munich does. But Guerrero makes it 2-1. And then just as injury time is approaching, the crowd's cheers uh from Cologne's goal to Bayern quickly die off when news arrives that Bayern, by way of Musiala, had gone back in front just before the 90th minute. And Bayern see out the result, meaning Dortmund now need two goals in stoppage time to win the match and win the Bundesliga. And uh, they left it all just a little bit too late. Nicholas Sula does find the back of the net, but that's not until the 90th plus 6. And there isn't even enough time for them to get another attack after that. The referee blows his whistle for full time. And it is 2-2 in Dortmund, meaning Bayern Munich for the 11th year in a row are champions of Germany. And you must absolutely be gutted if you are a Dortmund supporter now. They found yet another way to lose the title. In the final table, they go down uh, both having 71 points. And that's not good enough if you're Bayern Munich. And how do you know that? Well, they fired Oliver Kahn uh, actually before the match. They didn't let their vision of things going wrong be swayed by the title falling into their lap. But this was an exciting finish to the season. Bayern with the far superior goal difference, a 15-goal 
advantage in goal difference is the reason that Bayern are champions for the 11th year in a row. However, RB Leipzig uh, returned to the Champions League next season after finishing fourth, third, excuse me, and we're going to see the debut of Union Berlin in next year's Champions League after they finish fourth. An absolutely fantastic season for Union Berlin and also... Um, it's a season where they see their city rivals, Ertha Berlin, relegated. Schalke also relegated, and now VFB Stuttgart will play a playoff game. The first leg will be Thursday, June the 1st, against the team that seems to be in the playoff every season out of the Bundesliga 2. That, of course, is the historic Hamburg. So we'll see if maybe this is the year Hamburg finds their way out of the Bundesliga 2 and back into the Bundesliga. I don't know how Dortmund come back from this psychologically now. This is very, very consuming, very, very difficult to come back. Unless your name is Sebastian Holler and, you know, you only beat cancer this year, I'm sure he's not going to be too worried about missing a penalty given what he's been through and given the fact that he was able to get himself back on the pitch this season I think is remarkable. But in the end, it is Bayern once again, and let me tell you, Bayern just does things right. You can dislike them all you want. You can say it's bad for business, it's bad for German football, but at the end of the day, someone has to knock them off, and until someone does, they deserve to be the champions. I thought this time Borussia Dortmund were going to do it. They had the lead going into the final day. All they had to do was go at home and get the victory. They are normally so good at home. They have such good support. But they found a way to bottle it again. A lot, Dortmund and and Arsenal just seem to be classic teams that can't get the victory. They can play some brilliant football. They can produce some top talent. They all have some exciting youngsters. But when it comes time to get ugly and it gets time to get stuck in, they just fall short. And um, that's... That's the story once again in the Bundesliga. Maybe it's next year that this streak ends, but I highly doubt it. I bet you that uh, I bet you that Dortmund reload. I bet you Dortmund, not Dortmund, excuse me. I bet you Bayern reload, and Dortmund are going to lose players. So it's probably going to be another Bayern title next year. This was the chance to end the streak. It didn't happen. We'll have to wait and see now. Um, lastly, let's quickly. Go through the MLS table. I'm just going to go through the table today. I'm not going to run down the results from the weekend. Um, if you, The results are available everywhere. But right now the story of the league is FC Cincinnati in the Eastern Conference. They're top of the league with 33 points and 14 matches played. So they got one match in hand on second place Nashville right now in a five-point lead. Nashville, 28 points. New England Revolution, third with 25 They've run into a little bit of a slump here the last uh, three matches. They got one point from their last three. Philadelphia Union are trending in the right direction. They have gone uh, from struggling to winning four of their last five now on 24 points. Atlanta United fifth on 23. How about Charlotte FC? They have turned it around. They've won four of their last five. And uh, they find themselves all the way up to 6th now with 21 points. Orlando City 7th with 20. D.C. United 19th, 
sorry, eighth, eighth place with 19 points. CF Montreal, ninth place with 18 points. Also on 18 points is Columbus Crew. And then you have four teams on 16 points. That's New York City FC, Chicago Fire FC, New York Red Bulls, and Toronto FC. And then in the bottom of the Eastern Conference, a bit surprising to me, it's Inter-Miami with only 15 points. However, they do have a match in hand on the two teams above them. In the West, Seattle continues to to hold that lead, even if by the slimmest of margins. Seattle on 26 points. They've lost three of their last five, but they still got 26 points. Good enough to keep them one point better than both St. Louis City and then Los Angeles FC or LAFC. However, LAFC have three matches in hand on Seattle Sounders. Fourth place right now, 23 points, FC Dallas. Fifth place, San Jose Earthquakes with 19. Sixth place, Minnesota United with 19. Houston Dynamo are seventh with 18. Vancouver Whitecaps are eighth with 17. Ten, the Portland Timbers, they've lost two in a row, and they've got their arch rival Seattle up next. They're ninth with 16 points. Also on 16th point is Austin FC, a club that I think all of us that watch this league expected more from this season. Real Salt Lake are 11th with 16 points, also 16 points. In 12th, you have Sporting Kansas City with 13. Colorado Rapids, they lost 1-0 to Cincinnati this weekend when their former player and my former player, I actually coached him, Dom Baji scored the only goal in the winner for FC Cincinnati against his former club, Colorado Rapids. No celebration from the Senegalese striker. He just looked at the Colorado fans, apologized, and did a little heart with his hands. Uh, classy moment for Dominique Baji. And in last place in the league and in the Western Conference, Los Angeles Galaxy. And as a result of that, not just the poor attendances because fans are boycotting the matches, but the poor performances and the angry fans has led to the Galaxy just moments ago announcing that Chris Klein uh, has been sacked. Um, They have lost four of their last five. They've got only two victories this season. It does not look good for LA Galaxy, but it is still very early days. That's where MLS stands right now. In the Brazilian Serie A, they are several weeks into the season now. Um, They are at match day... They're at match day eight right now, and the surprise team in the league is the leaders. It is Botafogo, Luis Castro's side. They are on top with 21 points, seven victories, and one defeat from these eight matches. Second place is the defending champion, Palmeiras. They have 16, while third place right now belongs to Sao Paulo with 15, and then Atletico uh, Mineiro is fourth with 14 points. Those are the four teams right now in automatic Libertadores spots. In the two Libertadores uh, play-in rounds or the two qualifying rounds, the spots for those two rounds, you have Grêmio returning to the Serie A, as is Cruzeiro. They're fifth and sixth on the year that they were both promoted. 14 points for Grêmio, six, uh, sorry, 13 points for Cruzeiro. They are just ahead of Four other teams on 13 points. Those are Flamengo, Fluminense, Fortaleza, and Red Bull Bragancino. Um, that rounds out the top 10, with, and they all have 13 points. So 12 points, it's Atletico Paranaense, the Hurricanes, 
there in 11th. 12th place belongs to Santos with 11 points. Inter Porto Alegre are 13th with 10 points. Then you have Corinthians way down there, way too low for a club the size of Corinthians. They're 14th with 8 points. Also on 8 points is Cuiabá. Then in 16th, just uh, above the relegation zone, you have Bahia with 7 points. Also on 7 points, but just below the relegation spot is Goyas. Vasco da Gama is 18th with 6 points. And then America Mineiro, excuse me, are 19th with 4 points. And at the bottom of the table right now, you have Curitiba, only 3 points. When we go to Argentina to close this one out, uh, we'll take a look at the Liga Profesional. Remember, there is a plethora of teams in this league. 28 to be exact. I'll, I'll give you the top 10. River Plate lead with 41 points. Second belongs to San Lorenzo with 35. Tajeres third with 34. And then Estudiantes La Plata in fourth with 32. Defense Justicia are fifth with 30. Rosario Central also on 30 and sixth. Lanús is seventh with 29 while Belgrano are 8th with 28 points. Boca Juniors finally break into the top 10. They've won 4 of their last 5. They have 27 points, while Newell's Old Boys round out the top 10 with 26 points. And really, that is all for this episode. I've gone long. I've gone well over an hour. I'm going to leave it there. Like I said, more coming your way very soon. This is going to become regular again. And uh, I will catch you after the Europa League final. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. Mike Agustinho, that's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And follow the network and the show at PTB underscore media. For more content coming soon, there'll be more content up at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. And uh, that is where I'm going to leave you this this episode. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode 100. It was a blast to bring it to you. It's good to be talking about all these different leagues and all these different uh, topics once again on this microphone. And I will be back real soon with coverage of the Europa League final between Roma and... Sevilla. Is it going to be the special one's newest trophy or are Sevilla going to add to their museum and add to another trophy of their favorite, favorite competition? All right. I am very tired. We're at the end of the day here and uh, I'm done. I'll talk to you very soon. Peace.